Ladies and gentlemen, what's going on? I have a really, really rare guest here today, all the way from Australia. Australia, you guys are in for a treat because I've never had somebody on the show about this certain topic slash industry. And he's going to be the first one to tell you this is something that is definitely not spoken about as much. And what that is, is exiting your business, finding an exit plan, selling out your business. So all the way from Australia, I have Simon here with me today. Simon, welcome to Essential Entrepreneurship with me. Man, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely, man. You know, when I have long, long-term um, calls, per se, international calls, the one thing that still blows my mind to this day is, like, we still have the technology to make this happen. Like, Holy shit. And by the way, you can swear on the show, but it's like, holy yeah, shit. Cool. Like, it's like, I'm talking to somebody in Australia in real time. Whereas yeah. maybe, maybe 50 years ago, 60, 70 years ago, and even a hundred years ago, you would have to go on a ship and yeah. go at sail for months, if not a year to get to Australia yeah. to have a conversation. So still blows my mind, man, yeah. the technology yeah. we have. Yeah. Man, I hear you. It's um, it's funny, you know, because I I was born in Canada, actually, sort of a small unknown fact to most people, but um, came out here when I was just two. But um, you know, I still remember, and I'm a little bit older than you, America. But uh, you know, when I when I still remember being a kid, and we'd get on the phone, we like once a year to call the relatives in Canada, right? And you only did it once a year because a phone call was so expensive, right, to call overseas, and it was it was crappy quality, it was really terrible, and you know. It's, um, it was just, just a bizarre kind of experience considering these days, you know, you can click a button and talk to anybody in virtually any country you like. Um, so, yeah, but mind you, I'm still amazed that we've had this technology for 20 years and it took a global pandemic to force us to start using it properly. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's another thing too, man. It's like, you know, because of the global pandemic, it's like, it's almost like people were separated, but then kind of re-brought together almost with Zoom. I don't know. It's quite nice, though. So anyway, glad to have you here, yeah. man. It's definitely an interesting topic that's not spoken about enough. Um, when you and I crossed paths, I was like, dude, I, I got to have this guy in the show just because this isn't a topic that you have all the time. And the topic yeah, that is spoken about is like, all right, how to start a company, how to build it up. But that last part, you don't hear too much about that. So Yeah, no, you're spot on. And it's around for a couple of reasons but um i think two two things to that one i think that a lot of entrepreneurs don't like talking about exiting because in some way they feel like they're almost betraying their company or their baby you know oh i can't talk about exit this is my thing you know i built this from nothing it's you know it's it yep. did we need to start again or no nope, no nope, we're good we're good Ah, okay, cool. Um, yeah, I think I think people feel like they're they're betraying their company by talking about exiting it, and and it's really not the case, right? Like we all exit our business one day, whether we like it or not. And so, I guess my view is always you're far better off to plan for these events than just leave them to chance. Um, and, and let's be honest, right? Like life throws a lot of curveballs at us. You know, we, as we were just saying, we've just come coming through, we're still not out of it, coming through a global pandemic. Now, if we went back two years ago, you and I, I guarantee we weren't talking or even worried or even thinking about a global pandemic. Mm. 
but look what it did and how much it upset the world and how much it's changed lives. So, you know, we don't need things on a global scale to upset our businesses and our lives. Lots of stuff can happen. And so understanding what your potential exit options are and how to potentially plan for them a little bit is, is a really important strategy for managing risk and ultimately even protecting your wealth. So, so I think that's, they're really, really critical points. But, you know, the, the other one thing I'll just add to that, Enrique, is that, you know, I talk to lots of business owners and, and a lot of them are saying to me, ah, Simon, I'm not thinking of exit, I'm growing, man, I'm growing, I'm on, you know, that's the path I'm on. And I always sort of say, well, where are you growing to? And, mm. and, you know, I often get blank stares at that. Like, what, what do you mean? Like, what a stupid question. Like, I'm just growing, you know. Give me give me more revenue. I want to 10x my revenue, man. I'm going to blow this thing up. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. I'm excited here. But what's the end game? Why are you growing? Because, you know, to me, <laughs> there's an organism on the planet that grows just for the sake of growing. It's called cancer. It's a really horrible bloody organism, right? You know, yeah. it's it has no purpose. It just grows. Mm. And so... I'm always sort of saying to business owners, you know, we're not born to just do business, right? Business is just this human construct. We're born to live our life, right? And so I just think that your business should be a vehicle for delivering you the life you want. So the big question is not what do you want to grow your revenue to? It's what kind of life do I want? You know, how do I want to spend my my time. What kind of quality of life do I want? You know, and then and then you can say, well, how much money do I need to facilitate that life? And now let's go and reverse engineer and build a business to deliver that, right? Because you could be slaving your guts out for 60, 80 hours a week trying to 10x to the next level of revenue or 10 levels of revenue or whatever you want to call it. But really what you, you know, if you'd actually just increased your business by 50% and restructured slightly, you could be living the life of your dreams and not having to put in all that effort and take all that risk. So I love that. That's man. what having an exit plan is about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I love that. It's so easy to fall down that rabbit hole of scale, 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 build, 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 yeah. and to lose actually like maybe the main reason why you got in business in the first place. It's just so totally. easy to fall down that rabbit hole and to kind of lose that um, that kind of inner vision, right? And yeah. then, well, and I think too, a lot of people get into business because they they're kind of good at something, you know, like, hey, I'm, maybe they have a job. They're working for a company. They realize they're good at, maybe they're good at building something or selling something or doing whatever. And then for whatever reason, they stop working and then they kind of fall into their business, right? Oh, well, you know, I'm kind of good at this. I'll do a bit more of that. And mm -hmm. then they, because they're good at it, it takes off a bit and they start realizing success. And let's be honest, success feels good, right? So you start feeling, well, this is great. And, you know, it's sort of people, sometimes it evolves into their calling, right? They don't, people don't wake up one day and go, I'm going to sell widgets. That's my thing. I love widgets. You know, like they just realize after doing it for 10 years, like, holy crap, man, I'm actually really damn good at this. And when I do it, I feel good. You know, maybe this is my calling. So it's, it's kind of like it doesn't necessarily have that aha moment up front. It can come way down the track. Um, but people do get caught up in the journey of doing the, the widget, whatever you want to call it, um, without thinking about, you know, well, what does the next phase look like? And, you know, is, what, what does that end game look like? <laughs> I love that, man. So, you know, what I'm curious about is like what I guess, what is the biggest mistake that a business owner 
will make or will do when when it comes to kind of selling their business yeah yeah look and i'm gonna i'm gonna put every, there's a couple of things that i'll i'll touch on but I'll, I'll put it under the umbrella of not being planned right you're not not being organized and actually having an ultimate plan of what you're trying to achieve um what does that mean well you know i think a lot of people certainly a lot of my clients over the years you know, they're working away. You know, I think we all have these moments. We all have ups and downs, right? In our business, in a job, whatever. We have ups and downs. And, <laughs> you know, when people are in their down moment, they, they have this, oh, maybe it's time to get out. And then they turn the corner and have a whole bunch of success. And they're like, no, I'm loving this again. Woohoo, you know? <laughs> um, the power of I think what? Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> so, and, and I think a lot of people kind of get into these down moments. And sometimes... You know, it's the expression, this is an expression in Australia, I don't know if you use this in the US that, this much, but it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. You know, it's the, it's the tiny little thing that goes wrong that finally breaks the whole thing. Mm. And, and the owner wakes up one day and goes, screw it, man, I'm over this shit, I want out. And so I get this call going, hey, Simon, like, can you help me sell my business? I, wa I want to get out yesterday. <laughs> I'm like, okay, like... You probably shouldn't rush this thing, right? Like yeah. this, you, you once you sell it, it's sold, right? And we only get one chance to do this kind of really well. Well, that's not one hundred percent true. Like if it, the sale doesn't go through, you can always do it again, but it costs time and money, and you know all this sort of stuff. It's stressful selling businesses, so so don't leave it to the last minute where you wake up one day and say, "I've got the shits. I'm I'm so over this. I just want to get out." You know, you need to plan. Um, doing the transaction itself, you know, and this gives you a little bit of an idea of timelines, right? It t I always tell my clients, give yourself up to 12 months. From the day we start working on your project, give me at least, say, 12 months. Now, it's probably likely I'll sell it somewhere between six to nine months, but you've got to allow for 12 months because little hiccups and things, you know, may not go to plan. So if it's 12 months to sell it, right? You might actually be asked to hang around by the buyer for another year or two. So you could end up working in this business for another two to three years and we're starting to sell tomorrow, mm. right? So, you know, if you want to get out now, like that's, that could be a problem for you. Um, now, not to mention, if you come to me and said, hey, Simon, I think my business is worth five million bucks. Uh, can you sell it for me? And then I look at it and say, well, sorry, Enrique, I think it's only worth three million and I can only sell it for probably three million. You've now got this crisis of your life saying, well, do I go to market and sell and just accept the three million, which is below what I want, or do I go back to the drawing board and continue to grow and build to that five million? And if I'm going to do that, how long does that take? You know, let's say that took two years. Well, now I've got two years of building, a year of selling, and two years as a handover in it. I'm still working for the next five years. That's not my plan. I woke up this morning and wanted to get out. <laughs> So, um, so that's that. That lack of sort of thinking and planning around an exit is what the, is the biggest issue when people go to sell. Now, I'll, I'll share with you one last little mistake that a lot of people make is that they fall into this trap of thinking that business sales is kind of pretty straightforward and simple, and you know, um, and they're having those ups and downs and thinking maybe about getting out at some point, and then one day. They get this lovely little proverbial tap on the shoulder from the supplier or the friend or the competitor who maybe they know a little bit about who says, hey, uh, we're really interested in buying your business. And, of course, the business owner, first thing that happens is, Whoo, you know, 
chest puffs out a little bit, sitting up a bit straighter, feeling pretty cool, you know. My ego's starting to puff up a little bit. Someone wants to buy my business. This feels great, you know. It's nice to be in demand. <laughs> um, the problem with that is that usually those people who tap you on the shoulder, they've usually got a lot of experience around this stuff. They're usually pretty savvy at it. And most of the business owners I speak to have never sold a company before. Mm. And... What I find is that in those situations, there's only one girl at the dance, right? Mm. <laughs> You're only dealing with yeah. one prospective buyer. And that girl has all the power, all the say. They'll pick who they want to dance with and when they want to dance. And so our clients end up getting taken and put through the buyer's process. The buyer wants information. And it all starts off very friendly, right? Hey, we're all kind of really good, you know, connection. This is a great vibe. Hey, send us some financials. That's cool. Hey, can you send us a bit more stuff? Hey, listen, I'm going to introduce my accountant now. Oh, he's got some questions. Yeah, send us more stuff. And then he comes the lawyer. And, da, 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 da. and the next thing they find is that they've spent nine months handing over information, or as we say in our business, you know, opening the kimono, you know, lifting the kilt, whatever you want. You know, you're showing them <laughs> things you don't really want to show them, right? right, right. <laughs> and, and they keep asking for more. And after a while, you start feeling like, hey, this wasn't as, it doesn't feel as friendly as it used to feel. And I'm feeling a little bit like I'm being squeezed here. And, and the problem there is the business owner this whole time has started mentally spending the money oh, yeah, man, I'm going to sell my business. This feels great. I'm going to make millions. I'm, oh, I'm going to go on that holiday I've never taken. I'm going to... And then what ultimately happens in a lot of cases is that buyer will drag them through their process, which, keep in mind, is designed to get the buyer a good outcome, not the seller. Yeah. And then after nine months of mucking them around, they lowball them. Hey, I know uh, we originally said $5 million, but um, we, after all this work we've done, we think it's only worth three. So, you know, you really should take the deal. After all this time, you're tired. You want to go. <laughs> okay, that was my um, next question. It's, well, you know, why would they milk the cow so much? I know there's a motive. Yeah. There's always a motive, but why? So they do it to, to, to drain and exhaust to, to present the low ball. This is corporate M&A 101, right? And it's funny because I've had M&A advisors in large corporates who kind of when I had this discussion, they laughed and go, oh, yeah, man, like that's just a common that's just a common approach. Mm. Now, it's not saying everybody does that. Not right. everybody is kind of deep, dark and manipulative. But that situation often evolves, sometimes even unintentionally. Mm. Oh, they keep asking for more information. We're a corporate. We've got 10 stakeholders who need to sign off on their little division or their little part of this deal. Hey, Bob wants more information. Mary wants more information. And they just keep squeezing and squeezing and squeezing. And in the end, they're like, well, we don't really want to pay that $5 million and let's just, you know. Mm. Um, and if they're the only, once again, if they're the only girl at the dance, then at the end of the day, they've got all the power, right? Mm. Hey, we're looking at lots of businesses. Yours is just one of them. We may decide to buy it. We may just walk away. Yeah, they got the By the way, our business keeps going. No. Yeah, but you, this is your only company. And so now you've been put through this process, you've wasted so much time, you've ultimately really wasted a lot of money as well. You're probably engaged advisors, there's an opportunity cost to your time. Mm -hmm. um, it's horrendous. And so, you know, I, I get lots of clients to come to me after having been through that experience and say, never again. Um, and as I explain to them, and it sounds pretty obvious when I say this, but... It's one of those things that you have to kind of you go through. It's either you like go through it the hard way or you can learn from somebody like yourself so that way you can keep an eye out for it. 
Because sometimes, look, and I've been, I've been guilty of this. I'm Absolutely. sure you might have too, where like you, you've been told one thing, right? And you know, and you look out for it, but somehow you just fall right in it and you do it. And then you, you truly learn it that way. Like I, sometimes it shit just happens. Oh man, hey, hey, we all do that, right? Like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm great at articulating this because I live it and do it every single day. But uh, you know, the amount of times I'm doing that in the rest of my life, of course, like we're, we're all human. And I think that's a really great thing to mention here is that if you've been through this, hey, don't beat yourself up over it. This is, this is happens a lot out there, and mm. um, you know, at the end of the day, we're all, you know, be kind to yourself, right? Life oh, can be hard yeah. enough. The key here is if it's not something you do every day, speak to somebody who does do it every day because at the end of the day, and whether that's us or a company like us, get someone who you feel really comfortable with, who you feel you trust, who you feel has your best interest at heart and work with them because that's that's business, right? We can't be experts at everything. Um, you know, I have, a, I have a question, man, and it's how, like, let's say a business owner, let's say they want to do it themselves, right? We all know somebody. We've all met them. We'll always come across them. It, can you can you sell your own business without working with a company like yours? You know, like is it is it possible? Is it pain in the ass? Like the process? What does it look like? Is this worth it? Not worth it. Yeah. You look. You 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 most certainly can, and lots of people do sell their own companies. Um, I think there's a couple of factors here that are are the main concern, and one is. Not understanding the process. I mean, if you're if you're going for a, a, a walk through the jungle and you've never walked in jungle before, you're probably going to trip over a lot of things that that an experienced hiker is is not going to have problems with, right. right? So it's are you going to get through this process as quickly and efficiently as you could? Maybe, maybe not. Are you going to be able to um, get the best possible valuation? Maybe, maybe not. Um, you know, once again, I mean, if you are just dealing with the one buyer, that may lead to an amazing outcome. It might not. Um, you know, I had a guest on my podcast just yesterday um, and he sold his business for, um, well, because the episodes won't be live immediately, I can say this, but he sold his business for 30 million US. It was a, it was a great deal. Wow. Um, the multiple was fantastic. And, he, and, you know, he got approached by a guy that he knew once before in his life and and they had worked together and they had a good relationship and mm. so it kind of worked. Gotcha. Um, but I've heard that story many, many other times where it's gone sour and so even to the point where it's ruined friendships and stuff like that as well. So I, I just come back to the same thing. Like, so Can you sell your own business? Of course you can. But what we've just found over time is that if you run a really tight process and you have good people in your deal team, then you're more likely to get the kind of outcome you want. Um, and let's be honest, right? I mean, if you're going to sell your business, would you like to talk to one buyer or would you might like to have three or four? You know, it's at the end of the day, options and having choice is actually one of the most powerful things in any negotiation process. What are, what are the big factors that impact the business valuation? Yeah, look, there's lots. I mean, it's, and let's, let's pick on a couple. I mean, of course, Financial performance is always going to be important. But I guess if we're going to talk about valuation, let's let's talk about how, you know, very quickly anyway, how most companies get valued. Um, and there are lots of different methodologies. And as a business valuer, we we apply lots of different methodologies in our in our planning and our thinking. But most companies will sell on a multiple of their profit, 
right? Mm. So, you know, and, and by profit, we're talking predominantly EBITDA. Um, so a multiple of EBITDA. Now, what's the multiple? How do we come up with that number? Um, there are a lot of advisors out there who kind of put their thumb to the wind and say, oh, you're in manufacturing. That means that you're a four times your EBITDA or net profit. I'm, I'm always a little bit sceptical of stuff like that. Um, I, I believe that there's a range of factors. You know, no two manufacturing companies are exactly the same. So saying that they should have the same multiple is kind of a bit counterintuitive. Um, there's actually a bunch of non-financial and financial factors within your business, you know, that could make your multiple worth a lot more than somebody else's down the road. Um, and I'll give you an example. Last year, we sold a number of professional services companies. One sold for a two times their profit. One sold for six times their profit. Now, if you both just said, well, you're both professional services, they might have said, well, you're both an average of three or four, but they're not, right? So, so what are some of those factors? Um, clearly, financial performance, as we we're saying, is, is important. And, and size even matters, right? So, you know, a company turning over more than 20 million is going to get a better multiple than a company turning over two. Um, but also, what is the story your financials is, is telling us? Like, are you highly profitable one year and break even the next and then a bit profitable and then break even and, you know, up and down? Um, and if that's the case, you know, your, your story is really kind of sounding a little bit unpredictable. Um, what, about you, what about your margins? You know, a company that's turning over or getting 30% net profit every year is going to do a lot better than a company that's doing, you know, single-digit net profit every year. So there's those kind of factors around your financials and the story your financials is telling. But put the numbers aside for a moment. Let's, let's pick on a couple of other quick factors. One of the big ones I'm going to say is concentration risk. So are you overly dependent on any one customer, supplier or employee? That's an important uh, question to ask. That's a really important I'll question give you, to ask. Yes. I'll give you, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, um, there was a guy, Rick Day, um, ran uh, a company called Daycom Systems. He, he had a business selling telco equipment. Now, 75% of his revenue was attributed to reselling products from one supplier. Company turned over about 25 mil, 26 mil. He got a deal done, but he got only about three times his EBITDA up front, and then the rest of it was on an earnout. Um, so fairly low multiple for a company of that size. And pretty much the buyers pointed out that it's because you've got concentration risk. You know, they pretty much said, if you, uh, if that's one supplier has a problem, your entire business is going to fall over. Mm. And so we need to factor that risk into the valuation that we pay. Um, flip it around the other way. You know, what if you're selling 75% of all your services and products goes to one customer? What if that customer leaves, right? <laughs> so... What, what I would always say, and this is a little bit of a tip for your listeners, is I try to coach my clients and, and help them understand not to, you know, you don't want your largest client to be more than about 15%. If you could get it down into single digits, even better. But once you get to about 15%, you know, a little red flag pops up and just says, hey, well, maybe we need to look at this. Um, if it gets to about 25%, you know, well, now we've got red lights flashing and warnings going off and everyone's saying, oh, hang on, that's a bit heavy. And, of course, if you've got to, uh, you know, 50% or something like that, you know, you know those old air siren horns, man, that's what I'm hearing when I say 50%, right? So it's a massive warning. You'd be really discounting evaluation based on stuff like that. Um, you know, 
final one I mentioned was employees. You know, if, if you're uh, if you're the colonel, you know, you're Colonel Sanders, and you've got eleven herbs and spices, and uh, one of your employees is the only person who knows how to make five of those spices, that's a problem. Yeah, that's huge. <laughs> you know, if 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 you're a SaaS company and there's a special part of your code that only one guy knows and understands how to do and build and work with, that's a problem. So, you know, you've got to think about where you know, you've got this sort of level of concentration in, in your own business. Um, you know, and, and the final one I'll mention here, Enrique, is um, a little bit outside the concentration risk, but a similar theme is how dependent is your business on you, the owner, right? Mm. Like, could, could, you, could you go and take a three-month holiday from your business? Um, would your business survive that? <laughs> um, would it be really severely hurt by you taking a three-month break? Or would it just sail through or possibly even grow further, right? Those kind of risk factors is what buyers look at and say, well, mate, we're never going to pay you a five or a six multiple for your business. Look at all that risk there. They might still offer you something, but it's going to be massively reduced. Hey, do you have like a rule of thumb when it comes to that? Like, let's say, let's say I'm thinking about selling Essential, right? And Essential's built out, it runs itself. I don't need to be there. Do you have like a rule of thumb that maybe you'll tell people as a tip where it's like, hey, look, if you want to sell your business, your business should be able to run itself for two months by without you or three months without you? Or do you have any sort of like rule of thumb when it comes to just like indicators of knowing when your company is at yeah. the point to where it's okay to exit? Yeah, look, I, I don't have a rule of thumb. And I've, the reason for that is that every business is completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, the ability to take a three-month break and not have to worry about your business, it runs itself. I mean, I think that's a pretty good indicator. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, but, but what I would say is flip it around the other way for a moment and look, look at, well, who drives the revenue in your business? So I'll give you another example. A friend of mine, Pete Martin, he was also a guest on my, my podcast. Um, he had a services-based business, right? And a lot of service-based businesses are dependent on people, right? So... Of course, when he goes to sell his company, just like other service businesses we've had, the buyers are saying, oh, well, how important is the owner? And, hey, we, if, we, if we buy your company, you're going to have to hang around and work with us for another three to five years because we want to make sure that, you know, your clients don't leave when you leave. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we need to transfer those relationships and all that sort of stuff. Um, so Pete, he sold his business to KPMG. It was an eight-figure sum. It was a 12 times EBITDA multiple. That's how, that's how they got to the number. I mean, a 12-time multiple on a service-based business. Mm-hmm. And he had no own out, nothing. They did the deal, they shook hands, they paid the money, and Pete walked off. Wow. Now, most people I know would go uh, say, how the hell do you do that in a service-based business? It's really, really simple. Well, it's not simple, actually. I mean, it's simple to say, hard to do. But <laughs> Pete fundamentally built his business in a way where none of the revenue was, any, it was dependent on him. Um, you know, he basically could point to it and say, look at all the revenue for the last two years. He goes, I didn't have anything to do with any of it. He goes, sure, I signed the contracts. Mm. So I know the name of the client because I'm the guy who signs the contract. But I've never met that guy. It was those people who drove the deals and brought the revenue in. It's those people who delivered it. So pretty much as I said, look, all I do here is kind of cash out and take my checks. And I'm a pretty expensive employee. And, you know, <laughs> you really probably don't want me. Yeah, Simon, what are some like... <clears throat> What are some key things that a business owner must consider when building out a business for the exit plan? Because like, like yes. we talked about earlier, you know, like 
a lot of us, we go into business like, all right, how do I build it up? How do I scale it? How do I grow it? But how do you yeah. plan on exiting from the start? You know, like yeah. t- tell us a little yeah. bit more about that. Things to look out for. No, and that's cool. And you know, I think we've 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 covered a lot of it in this way. But let me bundle it to in, in together in a, in a in a way that people can kind of get their heads around. Um, m- most people, if you're in growth phase, you're not necessarily thinking about exit. But what I want to encourage people to do is come up with a number. Let's say somebody did walk in tomorrow with their checkbook and say, "Hey, how much to buy your business?" Mm. It's good to actually have a number in your head that you know. Hey, I would be willing to walk away for that number because that number. And let's, let's be honest, don't just kind of do a bit of back-of-the-envelope math. There's a bit of a process to working out what number would make sense for you. So work out what a, num- a walk-away number would look like today. It doesn't mean that you're fixated on that forever. In, over in a couple of years' time, that number might change. But have a number in mind so that, you know, it, it's, it takes away a lot of the emotional stress. So that's the money aspect. There's two other things I want people to think about. The second one is timing. How long do I want to keep doing what I'm doing? You know, I gave the example before that you could be having to work for five more years to get your business to the valuation you want, right? Now, if, if the thought of working for another five years is horrible, then, you know, you might have a bit of an issue in, on your hand, right? So uh, ask yourself those deep questions. Involve your family. Involve the people that you love and you care that are important in your life and say, like, how long do I want to keep doing this stuff? Right? And, and that's working in the business and doing what you're doing as well as owning the business. And that's an important factor, Enrique, because I have a lot of people who say to me, yeah, this, is, uh, this business is going great. My accountant says it's a cash cow. He's, my accountant tells me I'd be, I'd be crazy to sell this business. Um, and I look and I go, yeah, it is a cash cow. It makes a lot of money for you. That's really great. But if you stop working in the business and you allow someone else to run this company, that business might represent... of your entire wealth. You know, it could be worth a lot more than your house and other assets you own. So do you really want to have all your eggs in one basket? And do you really want to let Johnny there, you know, run this this asset for you? I mean, to me, that's, you know, any investment advisor worth their salt will tell you you need to diversify, right? So you need to to assess risk in a different way when you're thinking about that stuff. So timing, how long do you want to keep doing what you're doing? How long do you want to keep owning this asset? The third thing is legacy. And this is kind of a really interesting one because for some people it means nothing and for other people it is everything. Um, So when I talk about legacy, I think people, when they traditionally think legacy, they think of like accounting firms, you know. It's um, Enrique and Simon accounting practice. Our name's on the door. I'm worried if I sell it. What does that mean for my name? I want them to not, you know, respect my name and I don't want to, you know, have that tarnished. Um, and, and, And that is kind of a little part of legacy, but in simple terms, I always say legacy is about what will people say about you when you've left the room, right? Your employees, your customers, your suppliers, all these people you have relationships with. When you walk out of the door, they're going to go, good on Simon, he worked really well, he always treated people fairly, he respected us, he took care of us, you know, um, and he he earned his exit and, you know, we're happy for him, go with our blessings, you know, we're going to take the mantle and we're going to take this company to the next level and, you know, it's all positive. You know, or do they walk out and go, oh, geez, that Simon guy, he was a prick, he screwed us over, he totally sold us down the river and, uh, you know, we got left holding the bag while he goes off with his millions sitting on some island. Mm. Like, now, now for some people, for some business owners, they'll say, look, I don't really care about that. Like, I've paid my employees fairly. I've always treated them well. I don't have any concerns with that. When I want to sell, I want to sell. 
I've got other business owners who've said to me, Simon, we've had three offers on the table with one of my clients. They took the lowest of the three offers because they said, I believe that buyer respects the vision I had for this company more and they respect the employees and they'll take better care of them. So I'd rather take a little bit less money knowing that I can sleep at night, that, that all, that's all going to be taken care of. That's big, man. That's big. That's very uncommon too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely it is. You know, I think in this world where I think a lot of it's out there for the money grab. Um, yeah, it's, and, and that's the beauty of my job, to be honest, Enrique, is I get to meet some really cool people like that who have a different view on the world and they, you know, want to make a difference. So, um, you know, that's the privilege we get. Simon, paint a picture for us because I feel like when, and me too, because I don't know too much about like this topic either, but like when someone thinks of like selling the business, exiting their business, what does that process really kind of look like? You know, like, I guess what, like for you, like if I come to you, Simon, sell my business, man, I just want to get out. I've I've put in my time. What does Simon do that's advantageous for me? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, so I'll explain our process, and, I'll, and while we're doing it, I'll, I'll touch on a couple of areas for people to be careful or be mindful of if they're out talking to other advisors. Um, and look, clearly, we don't service the entire world. So, you know, if you're selling your business in um, – what state are you in, Enrique? I'm in New York State. Okay, so if you're in New York and selling your business, clearly I can't do it for you because I can't be there. But uh, um, So you're going to be talking to somebody local. But keep in mind a couple of things. Um, first of all, make sure you, you, you feel right about these people. Trust your gut when you're making these assessments around picking advisors. But once a client tells us we want you to sell our business, let's go, we sign up, we generally will take around about six weeks as what I call the pre-listing phase where we're really just getting everything ready. You know, we're, we're getting our heads into the mind of these business owners. As I always say to them, I need to know your business well enough that I can that I can talk about it as if it's my own. You know, I want to be able to sit across the table from a buyer, look them in the eye and be able to say, no business is perfect, but this business has a lot of value in it. And if you give me the opportunity, I'll explain why this one is the value we believe it is. Um, now, that takes some effort and time and, and, and you actually have to give a shit about what you're doing to be able to kind of get to that level of knowledge in a quick period of time. We're also building out an information memorandum, which, you know, or, or in the US they call it a SIM a lot, a confidential information memorandum. Um, and that document is really a, a fulcrum that you're going to be using to sell the business. You know, it's a document that you share with prospective buyers that explains the opportunity, the background of the company and everything else. Um, now, to give you an idea, that shouldn't be a three-page poorly formatted Word document. Um, you know, ours are typically 40, 50. I've seen them 60 pages and they're detailed and they're glossy and they look good. Because let's be honest, you only get one chance to make a first impression. And that, that I am, that sim, helps make that impression in the minds of the buyers, right? And it also tells them, by the way, just how much effort you put in and how professionally you run things. So it, it has a lot of implications. You've got to build out your data rooms. You know, you say all the online data rooms, all the access and the information for due diligence and that sort of stuff. You want that ready. And the reason you want it ready is because let's say, the day we pull the trigger of the campaign, the world's greatest buyer walks in the door and says, walks through the virtual door these days, <laughs> but walks it through the through the door and says, I love it. I want to buy it. I'm ready. Here's my office. Sign up. Send me all your information. And you go, oh, hang on. Well, we, we actually don't have all that ready yet. Um, yeah. Can you give us a couple of days, which ends up being a week or two? Um, you know, and you're fumbling around looking for stuff. 
Like, number one, the, the buyer's thinking to themselves, God, if it's that hard for you to just get your hands on that basic information, what else is wrong with your mm-hmm. business? Yeah. Right? Um, and two, if somebody wants to buy from you and they're keen, the last thing you want to do is, like, slow them down, right? You want to you know, give them everything they need. Give them more. Give them extra. <laughs> um, you know, make sure that you are raising the objective objections and handling them. And you can't do that if you're not organised. So... All of that stuff is absolutely critical. The other part in that pre-listing phase is actually building your marketing campaign. So where we're actually going to find buyers, right? And there's a number of different ways, and I won't bore everybody today with the micro detail on that, but we we have both an inbound campaign and an outbound campaign. Um, And there's lots of market mapping and working out who the strategic buyers are, both internationally and domestically. Um, And then we actually do a lot of outbound stuff. So it's quite labour intensive, um, and that's why people and systems and process around this stuff is so important. Um, so once you've lined up all your ducks, um, you know, we say, I, I always tell my clients, it takes about six weeks, and that's assuming they can give me their information fairly quickly. Then we pull the trigger on the campaign. And, and realistically, that campaign, I generally have a really good idea who the buyer's going to be within about four to five months. So, so and this is why I say, look, I, I would say to my clients, give me 12 months, but if everything goes to plan, we should have this done in six or seven but it could fall anywhere between 6 and 12. Right. Um, gotcha. So, and, and, and I think too, Enrique, one, one little tip there, and I think this is part of the reason why people engage us as opposed to doing it themselves, is that when they've tried to do it themselves, they realise how much work's involved. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's a lot um, of I've heard parts. people sort of say, oh, mate, it's huge, right? And yeah. so, you know, if you end up getting on calls with 200 people in the next, you know, month, like how much time does that take you if every call is 45 minutes long? Yeah. Like it's it's crazy, yeah. and if you're a business owner, you actually have a business to run. You have a day job. <laughs> you don't need a second day job, right? And yeah. certainly one that could be distracting you from doing your normal day job. And let's be honest, like the last thing you want is to be six months into a process, you finally got a buyer on the hook who's really keen, and your numbers are starting to go down because you're not paying attention to your business. You've been too busy running a process. Mm. And you know what? Another thing too, it's like. You can't delegate that certain task of selling your business to just anybody, right? Because as a business owner, you, you, you know delegating. I mean, you're selling your business. Yeah. You, you know delegation, but you also know you got to delegate that to somebody who's actually legit, right? Because yeah. next to you, like the owner is wants to sell, <clears throat> the person that you're going to delegate to is the next best thing, if not better. So it's not like they can yeah. pass that on and save their own time either. So, I mean, man, I mean, just the moving parts from... From what I'm hearing, it just sounds like a tremendous amount of work for somebody to take on unless they've you know, got an easy way and somebody comes to them or a friend comes to them or an acquaintance and like, hey, I want to buy this. And it's, you know, yeah. wash your hands and it's easy, but that's not a common thing. Yeah, but, you know, even then, the same amount of work still needs to be done, even if it's your best mate. Really? They're still going to do due, due diligence. Absolutely. They're uh-huh. still going to do due diligence. They're still going to have a team of advisors. They're going to have accountants. They're going to have lawyers. If your business is a certain model, they're probably going to have – like, I'll give you a sense. Like, this business we sold last year, um, they got KPMG in to do the, the financial and tax auditing. They had a minimum of six advisors from KPMG working on those two elements. They had a different company come in to review all of the insurances and all the insurance risk. They had, uh, their, of course, their legal advisors looked at all the legal risk, all the contracts, all the other sort of stuff. Then they had an integration company come in and talk about integration plans and culture and everything else. So literally we got on one call at one point and we counted the buyers who were private equity representing a competitor had 12 advisors on the call. 
And, uh, and of course, from our end, we kind of had a little chuckle and said, well, they're engaged because this is costing them a lot of money, right? They're not going to just spend that and walk away. <laughs> so, so good sign for us, right? But, but it's, it's a deep process. And, and even if it's somebody you know, they're going to still need to do due diligence. And so my, my argument, I guess my point to a lot of business owners is if you're going to go through the cost and the time of preparing a due diligence data room and you're going to go through all the effort of due diligence, do you really just want to speak to one person? like one buyer, surely, surely you want to run a process and see who else is out there because the next guy might have some strategic lever that, you know, he values your business at a lot higher than the guy you're currently talking to. So I love that. You know, dude, dude there's so much that goes into, into this that you just don't know until you know, until you learn, yeah. until you hear somebody actually tell you about it. And, and like yeah. I, that on top of like this just not being a common uh, spoken topic. And I'm sure right now the audience listening, because we have fans over our audience is over 25 different countries, all the way from Australia to Asia to, to Mexico. We have over 25 countries. And I'm sure right now they're probably like, holy shit, <laughs> this is a lot. There's a lot that goes into this. <laughs> and there's a reason like there's a reason why yeah. Simon's on the show, guys. And it's for this reason, too. Um, Simon, before we wrap up, man, is there anything else that that the listener should know when it comes to either a selling your company or building it to sell it, or maybe just mindset? Yeah. Is there anything else that you should know? I know we covered a tremendous amount. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I think probably just reiterating or you know paraphrasing something I was saying earlier is that. You know, we, we can talk all lots about how to grow and how to build value and how to, how to build revenue and profit. And all that stuff is fun and it's cool. I love it. It's enjoyable and it's important. But before we talk about all that sort of stuff, before you talk about all that sort of stuff with yourself, I want everyone to think about what's really, really important to their life. You know, what's really, what kind of life do you want to lead? What kind of things are really important to you? Your business should be a vehicle for delivering you the life you want. Don't sacrifice your life for a bit of vanity metrics and a little bit of extra revenue and a little bit of extra this and that that's, you know, quite frankly, a bragging point to maybe you and one or two of your business partners. Um, you know, I've seen too many clients who after 50 years of business building are in tears because they don't have the kind of relationship with their kids that they wanted or their grandkids now. And, mm. you know, that price, the price they paid in other areas of their life has been far outweighing any kind of money they've, they've made. Um, and frankly, many of them will give up a lot of money to get it back, but they can't. So think about your life first, and then let's build a business to give you the life you want. I love that. Don't fall down the rabbit hole. Indeed. Indeed. Simon, where can we find you? You know, two places I would say. LinkedIn is, is your friend with this stuff. I'm, on, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, if anything I've said today resonates, you can see we've got a lot of content on LinkedIn and our website for that matter. So um, the website's exitadvisory.com.au, exitadvisory.com.au. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. Um, Simon Bedard, that's B-E-D-A-R-D. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. There is another Simon Bedard who actually does similar stuff to me out of Canada. It's kind of funny, um, but I'm the bald guy, so uh, you he's know, not as definitely handsome. the far more handsome one. He's not yeah, as yeah, handsome. always the handsome ones, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, look, I'm on LinkedIn. Please feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to connect with people. But do me a favor if you send me a connection request. Please put a little note saying that you heard me on this podcast. 
and then I'll know why you're reaching out and I will just connect with you and happy to have a conversation. So, um, so I look forward to chatting to anyone who wants to touch base. I love that, Simon. Today, I can't appreciate enough all the knowledge that you dropped um, for me alone. Like, it's great that I put you on here for everybody that's listening in over the 25 countries. But I know, like, the one person that I can guarantee you benefits the most from, from this is me. It's me because I, cause like, I am building a portfolio of companies and I want to sell. I build yep. to sell. So I haven't sold yep. one yet, but, man, this is this is what it's about. Because there's just so much that goes into it, so many moving parts that you just don't know. Yeah. That you just, guys. Another thing too, like I want to say it to the audience real quick, guys. You could do it yourself, or you could find a professional, and you could save a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of mistakes. I mean, obviously, if you made it this far in the episode, you could see the value and bring on somebody that's an expert and a professional in any aspect too. It's worth it. The payout's there. All you have to do is make the investment. Simon, thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Mate, absolute pleasure. It's been a pleasure to come on the show. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. I love talking. And uh, hey, anytime, if you guys, uh, anyone needs anything, feel free to reach out. We, We love to share and we love to help people. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the ending of that. I just want to come at you real quick to let you guys know that we're doing one on one sales trainings again, consulting rather again. Um, we stopped this for a little while, but we're bringing it back because I want more bandwidth, more impact. And the best way I can do it is by rewiring people. Um, because look, if you're listening to me, you understand that self-improvement is the key factor to get to where you want to go. Like that's why you're listening to this. And that's why you listen to other people related to this industry, this topic, this niche of self-improvement. So what the sales training is, is we dive deep into not just sales training, guys. We drive we dive deep into the actual brain framework, like how the brain learns, how the brain is structured, how you can learn so that you can retain information for not just a week, two weeks, two months, six months, but it can stay in there forever. We also go into how can we destroy, keyword destroy, any bad habits that you have, any limiting beliefs, limiting thoughts. These things will not take you to that next level of income. These things will only hold you back from closing more deals per month, from scaling your company per month. What we also do is we go into accountability. You can see this is the consulting part. So if you have sales calls where you just didn't do good, or maybe you did good, but you want to say you can improve, and you come to me and say, hey, Enrique, look, can you kind of like review this call for me, man, and see you know, where I went wrong or what could I improved on, I would say, yeah, no problem. Send it over. Send me your clips. Send me the, the, the keynotes um, on the, the times of the video. And we would go through it. My team and I would go through it for you and actually make notes and send those back to you. And we only do this for a small group of people because it's so in-depth, because it's so um, – what's the word I'm looking for here? Because it's so particular to to the actual client client not customer so look if this is something that you're interested in uh reach out to me like right now just reach out to me see if it's a a better fit for you um the price for this is super fucking low like once you find out the price and the offer you can be like holy shit enrique like dude can i give you my card now so check it out you got nothing to lose check it out click on the link below it's a link tree 
and then click on the proper link from there and you'll be in the funnel. Check it out. It's definitely advantageous for you if you want to better your sales skills or your communication skills because we go into accountability rewiring, giving you the proper habits after dominating, getting rid of the old habits. We teach you the brain structure, how to rewire the brain, NLP, advanced sales trainings. There's just so much that goes into it, which is why we only accept a small group of people to do these one-on-ones with. So hope you find that useful. Hope you found this episode useful. I'll see you in the next one. So I'm going to hit record and we're going to jump this bad boy off. All right, one second here. Recording in progress. Welcome to another episode of the Ultimate Freelancer Podcast brought to you by FreelanceCloud.co. We have today with us a special guest, uh, Enrique Lopez. Enrique is the founder, CEO and founder of Essential Recruiting and Consulting, a sales recruiting agency that provides top-tiered sales training and build sales teams for seven-figure agency owners to help them scale to eight figures. He is also the host of Essential Entrepreneurship with Enrique, a business podcast that dives deep into the brains of high-performance entrepreneurs and how they achieved success. Uh, Welcome, Enrique. Hey, thank you for having me. I love that introduction. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and, you know, we talked about it in our our pre-production. This is one of those topics that I think is so uh, critical and important and oftentimes overlooked uh, by people who go into business, people who are freelancers, people who have agencies, small business owners, etc. It, it terrifies a lot of people. And that's why I was so excited to get you on is, you know, sales and, and having the conversation, closing the deal, talking about price, um, etc. So I can't wait to, to dive into all this. But before we do, uh, you know, just share with us a little bit about, you know, yourself, how you got into this field. And then we'll start to jump into some of the topics. Absolutely. So what's up, everybody? I'm glad to be here. My name is Enrique. I, I love sales. I think I was kind of like a natural salesperson. Um, that's a big debate between people. It's like, oh, is sales natural or is it something that you learn? I think it's both. But obviously, you have to learn it. My whole life, I've been I've been selling stuff, man. I mean, ever since I was a kid, I was hustling tomatoes and, and vegetables from the garden. You know, I'm from upstate New York, so it's the apple state. <laughs> so selling apples, whatever I could to neighbors, going door to door. That was kind of the start of it. Then, uh, you know, I just I got into the online game as I got older and I saw like that's where the money's at. So I was kind of in the era of like, you know, the online uh, uh, education, I guess you could say about like six years ago when people like Ty Lopez and um, a couple of other big heavy hitters were doing those online courses. So I kind of absorbed into that went full in because I just love sales. So that brought me here. And man, let me tell you, there's something about sales and some people that are listening, they're going to resonate. You love it or you don't love it. Mm. It's just one of the, is is the black and white area. And for the people that don't love it, you know, there's some things that come into play. Sales has a bad reputation because of the bad beans always outweigh the good ones, but also probably because a few things that we're going to talk about today, maybe like fear, but, um, Man, I'm excited to be here to talk about sales because we got to listen for the people listening. We got some good things in stock for you today. Yeah, I mean, and and you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's 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 one of those things where 
in my opinion, if you're going to be in business, um, love it or hate it, you've got to do it. And if yeah. you if you shun it or if you buy into, you know, the perception of, you know, any any type of negative perception, you probably need to adjust your perception because your business will not flourish to the extent that it can if you don't do this, you know, effectively and successfully, which is where, you know, persons like yourself become invaluable to, to businesses. So, I mean, talk a little bit about, you know, the perception of it. Why do you think people fear it and how can they get past that? Yeah, I think it kind of boils down to like three things. Um, I think the first thing is, is lack of knowledge, you know, lack of understanding of something. I think that brings a lot of fear for everybody. Also, I think that lack of experience is probably one of the most fearful things for people too, right? Because lack of experience, I mean, people will feel, will, will fear rejection, um, being judged or drawing blanks is like one of the people's biggest fears. And, and look, if you have a fear of something and when you're in that pressure moment, there's a high probability that that fear is going to become true. What is that the uh, abbreviation for fear or acronym or whatever? It's uh, false events appearing real. You ever hear that? Yes. Yeah. Why do yes. they appear real? It's because we want it's like we, we, we make them appear real at the end of the day. So I think it kind of boils down to lack of knowledge, uh, lack of experience and lack of certainty and confidence, because if you do have confidence, and you do have certainty in yourself and your skills. You think you, the fear is going to be there for you? Probably not. You're going to yes. mitigate a lot of that fear. So I think like if you really boil the fear of sales down, it comes to those three things. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. I mean, and, and, you know, I think once you recognize those three items, you start, you can start to kind of dispel your own personal demon and the, you know, the 800 pound gorilla and all that kind of stuff, slay the dragon. But then you have to kind of pivot to, all right, well, you know, I understand that's the wrong mindset, but what kind of mindset should I have? What is the right mindset? And in a lot of your material, you talk a lot about optimization and, and those types of things. So, I mean, how does, you know, bring us into, okay, now I've identified, yeah, I, I had this old perception. Um, but I'm going to take this new path and I want to shift my mindset. How do I get there? And what is it, what is it that that looks like? Optimization is huge, man. I, that's why I, I highlight that so much. I mean, there's so much to optimize in, in life and in business in general. So like, once you get that skill down, that's one of the most important skills next to communication that's going to carry with you through life. So I mean, when it comes to optimization, for example, like I optimize everything, my thoughts, um, my thought process, the things that are important to me, I optimize. And when it comes to sales, you better, you bet like optimization is important, man, because tracking is everything too, especially for the people who are fearing sales. Guys, you got to track everything. Record yourself, first of all, got to record yourself with sales because you're going to hear your tonality, you're going to hear your pitch, you're going to hear the wiggles in your, in your voice. And trust me, it's going to be excruciating listening to that or watching those recordings over again. You're going to feel terrible about yourself, but you got to do it because you're optimizing. And I'm going to give a, a little a little gem here to the audience about optimizing. And if you're a leader, 
you gotta have your KPIs intact, guys. I mean, that's just something that a leader, or a business owner, or a CEO always does is KPIs. You're always tracking. If you're not tracking, there's a good quote I love, and it'll explain this perfectly. What gets measured gets accomplished. That's optimization for you. Wow, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, and that I think digs deep into understanding your business and understanding what really defines success in your business versus what doesn't. And then that can lead you into, well, what you should be measuring to define whether or not you're succeeding. Um, I've been in situations where you walk in and you talk to the, the, let's say it's a manager of a department or a business owner. And you say, yeah, well, what are your, how do you measure your business? And they, they, they probably open up and there's 300 graphs mm-hmm. of, you know, every conceivable metric that you can think of. And the, the dashboard is alive and it's, it looks like the stock market. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people think that's, that's great because I've got total visibility of my business. And really what I hear you saying is, you know, you've got to measure what, what defines success, which can't be a hundred different things, right? You've got to optimize and focus in on, you know, what actually determines or differentiates between, you know, what's going to drive your business forward versus what's not. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I think you should be tracking everything for the most part. And obviously you pay close attention to the things that are working, but closer attention to the things that aren't working because as a leader and as a, um, optimize as a, a person that optimizes constantly, the responsibility of improvement is always there. So like if a system could be better or if a system's not working, like obviously the solution is fix the system. If it is working, don't touch it. A lot of people say, Oh great. This funnel's working good. It's converting. How do we make it better? Don't touch it. Guys, if, if, if your funnels are, are converting, let it play its role. That's it. A lot of times we kind of get that shiny object syndrome and try to optimize things that don't need to be optimized. But look, let it run its toll. If, it, if the well runs dry, guess what? Build a new well or fix the well. So when it comes to optimizing, I would say train yourself to be an analyst. I mean, it's so important to just train yourself to be an analyst and see the things that analyst or analytical people see and look for because that's really going to help you and that'll kind of take out a middle person for you too until your business gets to the point where you need that middle person that analytical person have you ever watched the show billionaires or billions oh, yeah billions i'm sorry yeah. yeah billions yeah 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 one of my favorites yeah oh it's a great show i recommend anybody yeah. to watch it yeah, yeah, yeah. So, very entertaining. Yeah, in Billions, it's a show about a billionaire, and it really brings you into the mind of, of how billionaires think, how they execute. Um, it, you can just see they're optimized people, their thought process. You can just see them thinking deeply, but there's this one person in particular, a character named Taylor Mason. It's this super whiz woman oh. who's super <laughs> smart. She's like a computer that just yeah. doesn't stop analyzing. It's yeah, good to yeah. be Taylor Mason, and it's good to be the main character which is um bobby axelrod yeah yeah you yeah. guys it's so important to analyze everything but at the same time don't be a perfectionist yeah yeah i mean you know um so i want to i want to before we start to lose too much time because i want to get down into some details around a couple of things that some people can take away sure 
and actually apply. Um, and the, one of the biggest topics, there's several that I want to talk about, but, you know, somebody starting out their business or somebody that's had a business, like you said, has some type of funnel up, maybe a couple of them, um, you know, but it's not going like how, how they want it to go or maybe, you know, they, they'd like to improve it. And that's all around lead generation. And, you know, some of the, the, the things that what are some of the core principles, I guess you can say, that we can summarize here in the next, you know, little bit that somebody can take away and take another look at how they're doing lead generation. How are they trying to generate business, uh, find new clients and et cetera? Because, you know, to me, that's the lifeblood. If, if you don't have new prospects coming in the door, your business is going to shut down. And that that, you know, um, in a lot of cases is from lead generation. So talk a little mm. bit about that and what's your philosophy around that? Yeah, for sure. If you think about it, if we if we kind of zoom out and look at the macro, a business is composed of kind of three things, right? Marketing, sales, and operations. Those are kind of what a business boils down to. So if we're focused on lead generating, I guess we could start with you know smaller businesses and, and kind of tie into the medium-sized yeah. or bigger ones. What a lot of small size businesses, you know, they, they go about the organic approach first. A lot of people um, start businesses off with their own pockets without without funders or, or investors. So if that's the case, look, a lot of people want to go organically. So if you're doing organically, it's really great to bring in VAs or like appointment setters. You need people to generate leads for you. Like, yes, you could do it yourself, but you got so much more things going on. So you got to optimize but multiply your time so the best way to multi multiply your time people is by bringing other people into your process now you could pay them a commissions or flat rate or whatever that's for you to figure out but organically yes bringing some appointment setters bringing some vas you need people because if you have somebody working for you at least four hours a day five days a week do the math that's extra hours that's going towards your business times three people, a small team at first, you're making time. Now, yeah, no, I, absolutely. And I know you got a couple of them, but in the in the multiplier time component, just to dig into that a little bit more, um, bringing on VAs. Now, does, does, does your training, you know, walk through, okay, I think that's a great idea. I want to bring on some VAs, but I have no idea what to do once I get them. Um, does some of your training and, and when you consulting walk through, like, how do you structure what it is that you want them to do every day? Like, how do you identify that and, and separate out some of those responsibilities? Yes. That's what kind of makes us unique too, is, you know, we don't have VAs, we have appointment setters. So they essentially do the same task, but they're, they're different in the ways of appointment setters, um, they're people that join your teams, you know, they're contractors, VAs are just people that you kind of just pay to hire and, and they just kind of show up and do the work. But what we do differently is for the people who you just described who aren't sure, like, okay, what, what's the process of this? Like, how do we do this? Well, we do that for them. It's like a done for you for them. So like, if that's something that you're not familiar with, my people are going to walk you through. I'm using myself as an example. We're going to walk you through how to do it. We'll give you our <laughs> onboarding process. We'll give you the SOP, the standard operating pro process, so we can get those people situated in your company and start giving you the results that you need, which is lead generation. So that's the nice thing about it, and that ties back into time too. 
Yeah, yeah. So that that's multiply time. Um, what are some other things around lead generation that people need to think about? Yeah, look, if you're a mid-sized business, I want to shed some light on these people too. Media buyers, man, you need some people doing. You need you need paid ads. So media buyers is basically somebody that runs your ads for you. It's just a techno term. So media buyers, on average, they go from anywhere from fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars for a good one. And trust me, you want to pay for a good media buyer because they're bringing your leads. Your leads are your lifeline. So a great media buyer, they're really easy to find, guys. If, if you don't know anybody to ask, man, go to ClickFunnels Facebook group or something, make a post. You'll have like 100 people hit you up in like 15 minutes and just ask for the credentials. Look, show me your conversions. Show me some, you know, uh, some, some numbers. They'll send you everything you need. It's really easy to find media buyers. Um, my first step I would take is referrals. Go to people you know, people you trust. But yes, don't be afraid to invest in a good media buyer because they're the one that are bringing the leads to the table. And they are they, uh, you know, primarily focused on setting up your advertisements on, you know, I don't know, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok and, you know, those types of things. Is that kind of their, their core responsibility is is doing the advertisement that generates the interest that brings people to say, hey, I'm curious about this. Yeah, so a media buyer does, uh, they do a lot for you. They'll do the copywriting, so that's the description of the ad. They'll do the optimization. They constantly analyze the ads and, and the progress from the ads and the data from the ads. They save the data from the ads. They place pixels in your ads too, which track. And you know when you click on an ad and you see it again like three days later? Mm -hmm. That's a pixel, right? So you trip the pixel. Um, they, they literally optimize the, all, all, everything has to do with ads for you. So again, you're multiplying your time and you're having an expert do it for you. You're not doing it yourself. Taking on that learning curve um, and, and losing the money, right? You got that money risk if you try doing it yourself. So that's the nice thing about media buyers is they do a lot for you. Yeah, I, th I think that's um, that's probably one of the the biggest takeaways is what I see a lot of people do is say, well, I went on YouTube, I watched a few videos on how to create ads in Facebook and, you know, I created an account and, you know, I can kind of do it myself. Mm. And, you know, it goes back to your really two points that you made about multiplying your time. The time that you're spending doing that means you're not doing something else in your business. And then the other point you made about, well, this person actually has expertise. I mean... How many business owners do you talk to who went down the path of trying to do it themselves that came back, you know, a month later, six months later, a year later, and they said, I wasted a ton of money, I wasted a ton of time, and now that I see an expert doing it, I see the difference. I mean, do you see that as a big aha moment for, for some of your business clients? Yeah, and it's not something that you see too often because people, people get embarrassed, you know. So a lot of people would like to just kind of avoid that that feeling of embarrassment or the other things that, that come with that. Um, but they do realize very fast that, all right, oh, you know, some things you just got to delegate, guys. Like some things you just have to delegate. I personally, I don't do media buying. I never wanted to take it on because why would I do it if I could pay somebody else that's way better than me? And at first, yeah, hey, it might be hard if you start your company, but... I mean, if you're at a point where you can invest, tell you what, strike a deal with your media buyer. Give them a percentage of the profit shares. 
on what they earn for the company and what you close. That's an idea. You might get a lot of no's, but you know what? You're speaking business. So if you, and I'm just spitballing here, but if you negotiate a percentage of the profit shares that you sell based on the leads that they bring you, guess what? They're going to work even harder for you now because they're getting a piece of the pie. So if you don't have money up front, guys, get creative, be resourceful. Try to optimize yeah. for a solution. Yeah, I mean, um, I think that is that is a, a very, very uh, important point because as entrepreneurs, freelancers, business owners, nine times out of ten, you did start it yourself. Mm-hmm. You did bootstrap it. And there's this general perception or, or idea that I can go it alone. And I have seen that myself. And that's why I'm kind of really focusing in on this point mm. is, you know, everything is not meant for you to do. And, and knowing when to delegate mm-hmm. is one of the most difficult things, as small as it is, uh, in business when you're a business owner or an agency owner, and et cetera, because you feel like you can do it right and you can figure it out. But you end up wasting a lot of time and money and it takes you away from um, so many, uh, so many other things. And, you know, so. About lead generation also, um, Enrique, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, what about sales? You know, we're talking about bringing on VAs and, and um, you know, analysts and et cetera. Should somebody bring on a salesperson, you know, or at what point should they look at saying, I'm good at creating the widget that I'm selling. I am not the best salesperson and it's starting to hurt the business. So, I need to bring somebody on. Like, what, what does that transition and process look like? Got it. So we'll start off with small business owners again first. Look, if you if you got a new company or a smaller company and, and you don't like closing, or maybe you are good at closing, but it's just time for you to stop closing for now, commission-only sales reps, okay? You work for what you eat. You sink or you swim. Trust me, there's a lot of people out there. In fact, almost all sales reps are commission-only. So don't be afraid in thinking that, oh, I got to pay him a flat rate plus commissions. No, people love commission-only sales. I'm like one of the many. So you can find these people almost anywhere. But bring in a commission-only sales rep. Now, if you're small, start off with one or two or three. Build a small sales team. It depends on the leads. Bring in one really good one. If he's really good or or decent at least, commission or Perhaps give them a small percentage, again, of the profit share, very small percentage, and make it contingent on his results. And you might be thinking, well, I don't want to give away profit share for a long period of time. Okay, no problem. Give him a, a, a percentage of the profit share, contingent on six months of working for the company. By then, you'll have three more people. But the ideal ideology is you bring on one guy, one closer, and they'll close for you. Let's say they make you 15K a month. Cool. You're making 15K a month. The company is. Bring on a second one. You're going to make, what, 30K? Best case scenario. Then you bring on a third one. Now you're making 30 grand a month or whatever. So building it like that and and just looking at it that way, it's much easier to just break it down and ingest it. It's a lot easier than you think it is, guys. That's the number one thing first. It's very easy to build a sales team. You just got to know what to look for when you're building a sales team or hire somebody to build a team for you. It comes down to what you need in the moment, but really that's how you do it. Commission only sales reps. And guys, here's another thing too. I keep saying about profit shares. It's a great leverage point, great negotiator. Um, 
because it's enticing and it's beneficial. So as a, as a business owner, you don't really want to give equity away right away unless it's a great partner. But that's what profit shares for. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent point. I mean, one of the things that I see also in this whole uh, kind of maturation process, we talked about, you know, measuring what gets done, you know, understanding the KPIs of your business, revisiting your funnels, you know, building your sales team. As someone begins to um, really get their feet underneath themselves in starting out, and they could just be an independent operator, doesn't have to be a large business. Mm -hmm. Where I see a lot of people kind of trepidate a little bit is around, well, my value is increasing. Should I increase the cost of my service? And it could be, you know, an attorney, it could be, you know, a graphic designer, it could be, you know, there's a lot of imposter syndrome going on. You know, you deal a lot with high ticket sales. Mm. Um, but I, I imagine that somebody doesn't come out right away charging a premium. So, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, somebody starting low and what does it look like to grow yourself up to get the confidence to move into I'm charging a premium for my service? Yeah, I love that. I think it kind of boils down to like three or four things. So number one, market research. Number two, your margins. Number three, your targets. Number four, your fulfillment. Um, when you break things down, guys, it just makes things so much easier. So let's start off with market research. It's kind of it's kind of spoken for itself. I mean, study your competitors, study everybody. One thing that I learned from high performing entrepreneurs is the amount of market research they do. It would make most people sick. It's crazy, man. I mean, people think about this, guys. There's business owners, a lot of business owners out there that hire private investigators to investigate their their competitors. That's their way of doing market research. That's their way of multiplying time is hiring private investigators. That's what billionaires do. Crazy, right? Now, I'm not saying right off the rip, hire a private investigator, but you have to do an insane amount of market research because it's only going to help you. So you do that, see what they're selling, see what their offer is, see what their hooks are, learn their process, see if you can model anything from it. Um, see how you can improve, obviously. Your next thing is your margins. All right, cool. What are your expenses? Ads, website, um, fulfillment, right? What are your fulfillment costs? That's the number one important thing because you need a profit. Next thing is your targets. Where do you want to be? How much money do you want to hit this month? How much money do you want to hit in three months? How long is it going to take you to get there? How mm -hmm. fast do you want to get there? So your targets are just as important as, as the numbers too. And then, of course, fulfillment. All right, look, if, you, if you're providing a service or maybe even a, um, like a product, well, how great is that service or product? You don't want to sell snake oil or you don't want to sell you know, stuff from um, Etsy where it's like garbage, right? Because you don't want that bad rep. So if you know your fulfillment is good, all right, cool. That's going to help you a lot. That's why people spend millions of dollars on crazy good watches because – they kind of get what they pay for, right? They hold value like an NFT. That's basically what an NFT was before NFT was a thing. So like your fulfillment is just as important, guys, as your numbers. I mean, if you got a solid structure, solid offer, solid product or service, yeah, you'll sell it. First, get some testimonials. First, get some deals in the books. Get some video testimonials, review testimonials, slap them where they need to be seen. That way you have that going for you. So yeah, I would say market research, margins, 
uh, your targets and your fulfillment. Nice. Nice. I like, I like how you kind of segment it out so easily and clearly because, you know, this whole conversation is, is, you know, all around kind of demystifying this entire, you know, concept of sales. And I think what you're highlighting is it's not just one thing. It's not just, you know, ABC always be closing. It, it's, it, it, there's, there's much more componentry into it that you need to work through um, to arrive at, you know, your sales strategy overall. I mean, um, as you walk clients from the time they come to you to the time that you release them back in the wild, I mean, what, what do you see different about them? I mean, you know, how do they change? How do my clients change once we once we service them? Is that the question? Yeah, like they come to you and they're they're saying, "Hey, you know, I'm really struggling," and you open up their books and you know look at their process and all these things. I mean, do you see them? You know, is it is it overnight success? Is it you know once you start to really you know put these things in place, you have to let them build momentum and and. <laughs> You know, six months, a year later, yeah, it's a night and day, mm. right? It takes time to develop those muscles and et cetera. I mean, yeah, yeah, man, of course, like I don't, I don't really believe in overnight success. I mean, if you're talking an overnight success these days, it might be like selling an NFT for a couple hundred thousand dollars or whatever the case is, but that's really rare. I always say, look, if, if it comes to you fast, it's going to leave the same way. So, I mean, the same thing is with, with sales, you know, and building out your team and your companies, uh, I'm not saying slow and steady, but you want to make it steady and strong, right? So like when we service our customers, I'll build out your sales team within 30 days. Within the first 14 days, we'll get the sales reps put in your process. 30 to 60 days, they'll start closing new deals for sure. The thing about sales is, look, once you know sales, you just have to know the offer and who you're selling to. It's just a rinse and repeat process. So my people sell like me, of course, because of, the way I train my trainers and, and so on and so forth. But when I sell, I'm a very different persona. Right now, I'm kind of like analytic Enrique, you know, because we're talking business operations and stuff. And I get excited, you know, I start motor mouthing it. But when I'm on a sales call, it's very nonchalant, very chill, you know, curious, but cool. It's just like having a beer conversation, essentially. So that's how we kind of train our sales reps, too, because that, like you said, that ABC always be closing crap. And that was great in the 90s, perhaps the 80s, right? When Jordan Belfort was was thriving. But now the, the consumer, and guys, here's another thing too. The modern day consumer is so smart now. It's a good thing, but it's it's a challenge for us business owners because everybody's been through a funnel. Everybody's been through an ad. Everybody knows what a webinar is. Everybody knows what a funnel is. The consumer is a lot smarter these days. So do your sales reps. They have to be smarter. So is your sales game. And that's the thing about, you know, how we train our people is it's a very nonchalant strategic way of sales, which stays far away from the typical stereotypical, excuse me, um, way of selling, which people will build the walls up super fast once they hear it. You know, like, so what brings you on this call today? Or how can I service you? It's just, guys, just keep that in mind. It's so important. Like the consumer yeah, yeah. is so much I mean, smarter today. That that uh, that's an important point because 
when you go online and you're looking up sales and how do I do it, you'd be amazed at how much of it is still kind of that high pressure, always be closing. You see that clip that uh, the movie clip come up or Glenn Glory Ross, whatever it is. And, and it's a great clip. It's a great clip. It's actually one of my favorite clips. But um, to your point, you're in a different environment now. Mm. And when you go to your, your clients and et cetera, chances are they've already done some research and yeah. they're going to ask you some targeted questions. I mean, do you see that a lot? I mean, people oh, asking yeah. you, you know, they've done this pre-work and they've got a set of questions and they're almost want to put you through an exam to see if you get it right or wrong. I mean, what is, how does it go? Because I really like the concept of making it more discussionary as opposed to having some script that you're just trying to close these people out. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you said it best, man. The market is always evolving, right? It's not even just the consumer. The market's getting smarter. So, the, I mean, one way, I'll give you an example that I can think of off the top of my head here. You know, when you start a call, you know, hey, how's it going? Where you calling from? Uh, so, you know, what brings you to this call today? Well, what if instead you ask them, so what about the ad got your attention to, you know, maybe make you want to book a phone call with me today? And then you just shut up and listen. So, like, it's very subtle. It's very easy. It's very simple, but it's just different. What about the ad made you book a call with me today? Now, hey, so, uh, so what brings you to this call today? No, what about the ad? Okay, cool. Well, you know what, Enrique? I saw that you do the done-for-you recruiting. Um, I think it just, it'd be nice, you know, if it works out to, to have somebody kind of do that thing for me. Okay, well, why would that be uh, helpful for you? You know, me doing it for you. Oh, well, time. You know, I'm a very busy guy. Okay, cool. So you value your time? Yeah, of course. Whatever. Like, you segue into it that way. But if you kind of just open it up nonchalant like that, guys, it's it's going to be not only easier for you to get past um, the the tension parts, but your prospect isn't going to be building up walls super fast right from the start because that's where like 85% of people go wrong is at yeah. the beginning of the script. You know, because the beginning of the script, it's, it's like flirt with somebody, trying to get a girl's number or something. Your first impression is what matters. Yeah. The first thing you're going to say is going to be the thing that's going to either build the walls to work against you or to not even build the walls at all. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Um, I just, I feel so, you know, strongly about, I just think this is one of the areas that people who are freelancing, mm. people who are building agencies, people who are building businesses, um, it's worth it to, to pay. Like you have to invest in yourself. It's, you have to invest in your business. It's worth it to, to pay to walk through kind of a formal uh, training like this because there's so many nuances just even in this conversation that somebody can pick up on that they would have never thought of before. Um, even in how to open the conversation where you're almost, you're, you're, you're reversing and having the, the client qualify themselves mm -hmm. as opposed to you trying to qualify yourself. So with those questions, they open up just so many different avenues where they're just telling you what they need. And then now at the end of that conversation, you can repeat back to them and you, they've already told you all the answers to the question. You just fill in the blanks 
And it's like, wow, Enrique, you really understand me. You really understand my business. Um, I'll give you a great I think example. This... I'll give you a great example of exactly what you just said. Is, you know, when you get the objection, um, so why why are you a good fit for my company? Or when somebody asks you something like that, or I'm not sure if like if you're a good company for what we're looking for. Most people will just tie right back in a presentation, or they'll go off of the things that they just got from the prospect you know that they were listening to but ideally that's kind of not what you want to do in the moment instead what's good to to kind of segue into is well i'm not exactly sure if you are a good fit for us razul um just because i i, I don't really know exactly what you do yet i'm i'm not 100 percent on your process just to kind of give you the clarity that you're looking for to be able to make that judgment call. So I wanted to ask you, and then just tie right back into your frame, tie right back into your script. Guys, here's the thing about an objection. It's just a complaint. That's it. Don't don't get frustrated. Just be cool. It's just a complaint. Identify and isolate. Handle it. Just move right on. Always segue back into a question, guys. You have to put yourself back into the frame. You need something that I call professional posture. The second you lose professional posture, they feel it. You're giving them control. You need to control the conversation. You can do so without even... You're going to control a conversation without talking a lot. That's what a great sales rep does. They don't talk a lot. They listen a lot. So when you regain control, you're on your tracks. A lot of people get rattled because they let the prospect take them off the tracks. Of course, now you're outside your zone. They threw you off. Get back on with a question. Yeah, professional posture. I mean, that I, I can just tell that has a number of layers to it to really understand it. Um, but I, 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 I mean, that's a great term um, because, yeah, I mean, if you once you give up control, they're going to give you all the reasons why not. I think that's where it starts to go down the path of. And, and eventually, you know, they sell you on why you're not a good fit. It's blood in the for... water, man. It's blood in the water. Once they sniff it, ooh, they're going for the throat. <laughs> they're going for the throat. And I know this because, you know, hey, I've been prospects on sales calls too before. And, um, you know, if I smell blood in the water, you can bet I'm going for it. Yeah, and do you feel it? Like, I think you can actually feel it when you lose that control. Oh, my and... God. Yeah, yeah, you feel it. And they, they read it on your face, man. I don't care yeah. how good of a poker face you have, they're going to see it physically and they're just going to feel it. I mean, that's just, it's, it's a weird thing if you think about it, like how you could it feel is. somebody else's energy, but yeah. yeah, yeah, you could definitely, and, and sometimes we say things and as soon as it leaves our mouth, you're like, damn. That was a mistake. <laughs> that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Happens to us all. But yeah, no, no, I, you can... I get it, man. I, when you put it like that, it just made me put, think of a couple of situations now. And it's like, yeah, I felt that. Yeah, I actually literally felt it. And it's like it was almost impossible to recover once That's... you once you, you know, kind of give up the control. Um, but having, you know, as you said, professional posture and, you know, having some rails that, you know, you know, you understand where you want to take the conversation and those are your rails. And you have to stay on your, you can't let them take you off the rails is what I hear you saying. Yeah, man. That's why you always stick to the script. Always sell with the script, guys. If you don't have a script, get a script. You always got to stick to the script. Also, you always got to record your phone calls for that same reason. 
you know, you're going to have a call where everything went great. You felt like you checked all the boxes, but then they don't buy or, or they give you some objection. You go back, you watch it, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, that's why I went wrong. You and, see it. And, and, you know, if you're a starter salesperson, sometimes you won't always understand where you went wrong. That's just because you lack the experience. That's all. And what I mean by that is, you know, I have a lot of sales experience. So, like, I am at the point where my tuition my my people come to me and they say, hey, Enrique, like I was on the sales call and this, this and this happened, but I didn't close the deal. I would ask them a couple more questions about what they said, how the person responded. And I was able to understand how the phone call went and I could give them feedback on what they should have done and what would have happened. So that comes with experience is when you can actually listen to sales calls and not even be in the room or watch it to understand, OK, what could have been different for a different result? So that's something that comes with just doing the reps, guys. And I say that for the people who are just kind of starting out in sales. So don't be discouraged. It will take some time to get there. But when you do get there, that's how you know you better start building your sales teams. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think the script is uh, the script is extremely important. Um, and then you know what you're what you're mentioning there is actually reviewing. It's almost like mentorship, like reviewing. Your, your sales call with an experienced, you know, person like yourself, because listening to it, you know, I've been in situations where it's like, yeah, I, I totally knocked it out the park. I don't know why. They must have just been a bad customer. And then someone else can listen to it and say, no, you see right here, the way that you phrase this, you know, or, or whatever it may be. So nuanced that you have to be experienced to know. I mean, is that one of the things that you do with your clients? Like they can record calls and kind of Say, hey, hey, Enrique, I need you to, can you help me out with this? I thought this was a good call, but it didn't close, and I don't know why. I'm lost. Yeah, exactly. So, like, yes, we build our sales teams for our customers, and, and we do recruiting services, but the other side of Essential is we also do sales training and sales mentorship, too. Uh, and, yeah, that's one of the things we do is, like, hey, you, if you had a call, awesome. Record it, first of all. Secondly, send it to us if you're not sure. Like, <clears> we'll <throat> review it. My team will review it for you. Because that's the best way to learn. I mean, how are you going to know if you don't know, right? But it's also really nice just having somebody look over your stuff and kind of see things that you just can't see. You know, the untrained eye can't see what it doesn't know. Yeah, you got to learn. I mean, you, you, well, one, I mean, you got to take your lumps, um, which a lot of people who start businesses, they do. Um, and it can be very frustrating and that's where you can start having thoughts about maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe this isn't going to work. Mm -hmm. And it really could come down to something as simple as, you know, you don't have a script. You have no idea when you're going into a call, how it's supposed to look and how it's supposed to work. And then as we just talked about, you end up ceding control of a call to your client. And then it's just, you know, they basically just talk themselves out of doing business with you and then you think your business is wrong but it's really your sales construct has not been matured and etc um which is why i personally believe this is you know i believe that this is outside of the widget itself you could even argue and you tell me what if you think i'm wrong you can argue that the sales process is even more important than the widget because there's been terrible widgets sold with really good sales processes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you think about like what comes before the sales process, it's the marketing process, right? So like, man, the two most important things for closing deals and just doing business in general, get down your marketing. You got to get the right leads in your pipeline. Then, <clears throat> I mean, 
then you need your sales intact. Like obviously get them both set up at the same time, but you need both dialed in. You need both dialed yeah. in, especially if you're yeah. a leader or CEO or a founder or whatever. Those are the two things that you need done ASAP. Business operations, you kind of take those with the punches, right? You know, you kind of go go through some things and build new systems based on things that you learn. You know, you bob and you weave. But the things that you need to to at least get down first or try your best to get down first, because it, it just never works out perfect every time, is your marketing and your sales, guys. So like, that's number one priority, sure. Yeah, okay. All right, and we're running short on time. I mean, I, I'll... I'll you know turn it over to you and see if there's anything specific you want to talk about. I do want you to tell the audience how to get in touch with you, how to engage uh, with you know your consulting firm. I just think this is so crucial, and I think it's crucial for people to pay for it, uh, to invest in it, get a professional to do it. Mm. YouTube is great, but um, you know trying to self-diagnose something like this with your business is you know it's just too critical it's too important to too much information to, there's too many voices that you could listen to and then you yeah. just get distracted it's like shining a light in a room full of mirrors you know you don't know where to look yeah yeah great great analogy so how, how do people get in touch with you how's the best way to get to you yeah so uh i would say find me on instagram or facebook shoot me a personal dm i'll get back to you because i could i could give you guys a link but you know what in the sales and online space Links are always changing, so I don't want to give you a link and then you, you listen to this podcast, you know, three months from now and it's a broken yeah. link or whatever. So find me on Facebook, Enrique Lopez. Find me at Instagram, Essential Enrique. Um, I would love to give you access to our Facebook group for free where we do give you pieces and bits of our sales training for free. So you can have that access, which is really nice. So you can see that nonchalant way of sales. And reach out to me. Look, I love people reaching out to me. I have people on my blog that reach out to me from across the world, different countries, asking me for advice. I'm always giving free advice. But if you're looking for recruiting or sales training advice, reach out to me on social media. Um, my team and I would definitely be able to help you. And we love hearing everybody out. So I'm just grateful that I got to be on this show and really kind of talk about the things that I love to geek out on. So yeah, thank yeah, you. No, I, I thank you. It. Thank you so much. Um, and, you know, like we talked about in pre-production, is probably this we talked about it. This was kind of a general overview, but there's a couple of verticals in there that we we brought out that we could probably spend a full 45 minutes just talking about that one thing um, to help people really work through it. So there, you know, we may do part two, part three or whatever it is, um, because sales, I just fundamentally feel it's it's the lifeblood, like you said, and then the marketing component, making sure you're getting the right leads in so you're selling to the right people but yeah you know you got to be able to close the deal there's so much good things we could talk about and you know as a matter of fact for the listeners listening uh thank you for coming in 46 minutes into this podcast but leave us a comment or review or something what you want us to talk about next time yeah great point great point um okay uh well enrique i really appreciate it uh this conversation has been very informative um i learned a great deal um, and I, I know the audience is going to pick up a ton of gems that they're going to take back to their businesses also. So thanks for jumping on. We appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us today. I think so too. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you were willing to take away a lot of great things from that episode. We only bring great people on the show that can provide a lot of value. Only the high performing 
entrepreneur. So I hope you were able to take some great things away from that. Look, I'm coming at you right now with a quick message. We are opening back our one-on-one sales mentoring again. So this is a boot camp training. We focus on very few people. It's quality over quantity. And we do this once in a while for that same reason. So if you want to expand your sales skills, better your understanding, reading people, but also rewire yourself for high performance, then this is for you. It's not for everybody because not everybody wants to change their mindset and to rewire themselves. So that's exactly what we do. Uh, I can give you all the great details, but if you're interested enough, feel free to reach out. If not, no sweat. Please leave us a review on the podcast. Let us know what you would love to hear next. I love your support. Thanks to you guys. We have over 27 countries on our international audience list. So that's all to you.